Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Room of Requirement. This is episode 14. Yeah. Uh, for now, a podcast <laughs> dedicated <laughs> to soul care and resistance in the time of Trump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd like to start the podcast uh, with checking in without each other doing so. Miracle Jones, how was your week? Yeah. It, was, it was like 80 degrees yesterday. Yeah. And it really has an effect on me, so I feel all full of vitamins and, and vim. That's cool. Did you go outside at all? Yeah, went outside, walked around, uh, walked down Roosevelt, both directions. Yeah. Had had some street cart tacos. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Oh, the ones on, uh, what, like 79? Yeah, 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 yeah. They're solid. Yeah, they really yeah, are. yeah, yeah, yeah. The city's made for, like, 75-degree weather. But, you know, you're going to be quickly sandwiched between terrible winter weather and then terrible summer weather. Yeah, you're outside all the time. Your right. weather is terrible. <laughs> Why do we live here? I don't, I don't know. Uh, it's not the rent. It's not the smell. Yeah. Why Why? Uh, why do people live in New York? Is, this, is it good to live here? Um, I don't think it says great things about you. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> what do you I mean was listening, well, No, I was listening to S-Town uh, or Shit Town. Do you want to make that a random shit? Just like, just talk about S-Town? Yeah, we can make that a random yeah, yeah. shit. <laughs> But I guess there's a sense of like, oh, okay, well, you know, if you're from a small town, like, no, I'm trapped here. But I feel like people are also trapped in New York City. Like, (laughs) I don't think it makes you morally superior or like socially superior that you're living in New York City because you can as well be trapped here as anywhere else, right? And I mean, I I guess there's a real instinct of like, hey, I understand maybe people feel trapped in certain blighted areas of the inner city, but I think a lot of people are trapped. Uh, I have a friend who's trying to convince their neighbor to move. Um, and she lives in a good neighborhood, um, very good neighborhood, but that neighbor has nowhere else to go, right? She's sort of like, she has to be locked into that apartment and, you know, the costs of moving are prohibitive and her health care is right around the corner. So, um, and this neighbor is getting older. So people are stuck in New York city. It's not that, it's not that, oh, okay, well I have all the choices in the world and I chose New York city cause it's the best of the best. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes people are stuck. Yeah. I myself can't leave because I don't want to drive. <laughs> I don't want to drive either. That's why I mean, that's most of the people that are here. <laughs> just people that can't drive and, like, just don't want to and yeah. are bad at it. Well, I'm the worst driver there ever was. Like, really? I drive really fast and really, like, uh, poorly? what's the word? Poorly. Yeah, yeah poorly. <laughs> from Houston. So it's like, man, speed limit, whatever. <laughs> so I eventually just deleted myself from the driving pool. Right. That's, that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. I never, like, hurt myself or anybody else, but I was like, if I'm going to. Yeah, I'm nervous just hearing you describe. (laughs) I feel like I'm a a mediocre driver on a good day. Like, I just left North Carolina when I was 18, and I didn't drive in college, and I never got any good at it. And I just, you know, I don't, I mean, mom's actually a really good driver. She's really confident, but not me. I mean, I think that's, that's it, right? Like, we're here because this is the one place in the United States where you don't have to drive. Yeah. Right? I mean, ever. Like, to get anywhere. There's no, like, part of this city that you can't reach. So when autonomous cars come along, are we just going to leave? Yeah, yeah. I don't fucking know. I mean, maybe. If I can just curl up in the backseat of a car and be someplace else every day, you know? I might yeah. just travel all the time. Yeah. You know, I don't know what would stop me from doing that. My room is not that much bigger than a car. Yeah. <laughs> what else is it about this city that makes that attracts bad people? <laughs> <laughs> um, you're ambitious, but probably um, not publicly minded enough to work in DC. Yeah, yeah. I don't care about other people. Yeah. So it is a commercial. It's a it's a commercial kind of ambition. Yeah, commercial and also like 
private. Like you want to succeed, but you kind of don't want anybody to know about it except other people in your craft, <laughs> right? Like, and you right. want to, yeah, and you want to like right. be, you know, like this sinister, like spider-like person that controls like destiny from the shadows. Sure, right? yeah. Again, it's power, yeah. but not necessarily fame. Yeah, power, but not fame. That's for the real, like, that is the New York ideal, right? But other than that, how are you doing? You get, you're good. You yeah, I think so. I mean, I feel okay. Um, are you? Have you uh, met any of your goals? I did move forward and getting an ID. So oh, okay. I got like I got photos taken for a work ID. Oh, okay. Which then I can translate into a social security card. Okay. All right. So, so you are an undocumented white American. Undocumented citizen. Yes. <laughs> undocumented citizen. Like not in any way illegal. And yeah, I feel like you're never gonna get rounded up. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. yeah no. I, no. No. I am. Uh, Where would they deport me to? <laughs> I'm. Uh, I'm traveling overseas, and I think it's just gonna go badly. Overseas when you're coming back in. Yeah. Oh my god. Because I. What'll happen is like I'll screw up some minor thing, and then yeah. I just won't help. Uh, I won't be able to help myself, but I'll mouth off. And that's the end of me. I mean, what do you do in that situation? Because, like, it's, you know, categorical imperative. If everybody mouthed off, like, everybody's in safer, you know, like, in right. the aggregate. Because they're just, like, you know, when somebody else does it, you know, they're, like, used to it. Sure. But, like, if you, you want to be you, if you're the only person doing yeah, it. Yeah, I, so I, like, I chemically, I can't help it. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know how you feel. Oppositional like, defiance. Well, how have you been? How's I've been uh, good. Uh, I mentioned I'm just a little busy this week um i actually did see a dentist I, I went to a new dentist and he was really good and really thorough except at the very end like he i got like the fastest like cleaning i've ever had in my life and i'm not sh i don't know if my teeth are that healthy um so uh maybe they are i don't know but it, it felt like a perfunctory cleaning so i don't know i'm on the fence about recommending him was he close by yeah i mean he's like was he like on the corner yeah yeah two blocks over okay i think yeah. i yeah i passed that guy all the time and i'm like yeah yeah i mean he's very nice <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't know but other than that i think things are good i'm a little behind on my exercise which sort of tends to affect the mood anyway um, You're in a short sleeve shirt. Yeah. You're about to go on vacation. Yeah. It's like vacation camera. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's summer, summer me. Yeah, 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 yeah. What do you hope to get out of this vacation? Uh, I think that I've already been to Japan, uh, and I think it'll be a cool experience. I know my wife really likes it, so this is more driven by her. Um, I am curious to see how well I handle a long-distance flight, which is something of a... Uh, question mark because I become a steadily more nervous flyer as I get older. Oh, really? Um, every every time it's a little harder. Uh, maybe not every time, but uh, so when I was a kid, we had to we traveled back and forth to India a lot. So like, you know, I would go on twenty hour flights and not worry about it. Um, but actually, this is a thing. Um, since September eleventh, I have uh, I've been a more and more nervous flyer, and uh, I was here in New York City during September eleventh, and I was effectively. Um, in a subway station for three hours, we're just yeah. so I didn't really directly experience anything, but I, I worked in that area, so um, like my building was closed down, and my building was close enough that like um, it was part of the FBI investigation, so uh, it didn't really directly impact me, um, if only because I got to work a little late that day, uh, <laughs> so that made me uh, that made me promise that I would never try, I would never get to work on time. Um, but anyway, so I've just been more and more nervous flyer, and I remember coming back from Japan last time, like the flight, the takeoff was really shaky, but the pilot had warned us, and I was, I was, uh, I was, I did not take that super well. Like it was, a, it's a pretty rocky first hour for me, um, and everyone around me was cool. So I, I don't know how what that is but I, I had to figure out how I'm going to like try to calm myself while I 
Do you drink when you fly? I don't drink when I fly. I get smashed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just my, drink the whole time. My friend, who also had the same problem, and she actually has the same problem, I think, also because of September 11th, because she's so, uh, working around there, to uh, that area. Um, she says she just takes, like, high-end drugs. Yeah, that's another way to go. Yeah. If you got him. I'll think about it. You know, knocking yourself in, out in some ways, like, help is for the good, greater good of the plane. That is true. Also, that... the more limp you are, the more likely you are to survive a crash. That's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My my way of dealing with this is not to use drugs or alcohol, um, but I, I've, again, we've been watching World War II documentaries, and I realized that Jimmy Stewart, who's, like, one of my all-time high heroes, was a flyer. So I'm just going to be like... Jimmy Stewart could do this. Jimmy yeah. Stewart could do this. Yeah. What are you? Not a man. Jimmy Stewart can do this. Um, I mean, it's as close as I get to a religion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I may be dragged off a plane. Uh, <laughs> you just like kick back. You know, you got your your, your drink, your movie. You know, it's more. You're not like you can enjoy the movie more, sure, right? You know, just get like three in you and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. We'll, we'll see. Um, right. That, you know, maybe. that's it. You know, you know. That's what Jimmy Stewart would do. That's true. <laughs> All right. You want to talk about politics? It's been about a week. Uh, so we're recording this on a Tuesday, Tuesday the 11th. Um, happy birthday, Mom. It's been an interesting week, uh, but I actually think this is a week that marks how much more quiet uh, the administration has become as opposed to the really active first month or so. But, I mean, I, obviously the first thing that happened um, almost as we were finishing recording this, uh, our last podcast was... Uh, that the administration decided that they wanted to drop 59 missiles on Syria. So uh, that's probably the biggest news because I think it's a, it's a complicated event because in general we are not pro in the administration in most of its efforts. But this one I think is is, is it's hard to it's hard to really kind of come off with a clear opinion. I think there are plenty of people who do, but I think if you want to be honest, it's a it's a complicated issue. Yeah, it's complex, and I would say the biggest tactical failure of the left and really the right with respect to this issue is having an opinion about it without seeing what happens like we won't we don't know if it's a good or bad thing to do yeah absolutely we know what the result and i think this is the again i think you're absolutely right that both the left and the right um for some reason they decide to have opinions about things that are impossible to foresee right Right. and so it's okay to have opinions and you can have a strong judgment about what the future is just understand that that's not what human beings do well Mm -hmm. um so it would be make a lot more sense if you were to couch it uh in terms of uh a more i don't know humble sense of i think this is what's going to happen as opposed to you know this is the worst thing or this is the best thing or blah 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 or whenever you people seem to be projecting the future it's one or the other they're very like binary futures as opposed to probably what's going to happen which is a complicated set of events will unfold yeah i mean you can definitely look at it in terms of like procedures and best practices you know like as a leftist you know interventionist in many cases i like to see these things done with international consensus for instance sure you know even if it's got to be done in a punitive sense i like to see as many people on board as possible and to see who who was for it and who was against it so later we can see you know where people stood and you know hold them yeah i agree with that um so i mean i guess so i mean just to take a step back so what did you think about the the syrian bombing uh, it caught me by surprise. It caught everybody by surprise. Yeah. And, you know, cynically, that was the first thing I noticed. Everybody else, every, you know, Russia, Syria, I'm sure the heads of foreign countries were all warned that this was going to happen. Yeah. The people who it surprised was us. Yeah. The American body politic. And it seemed like 
that was on purpose. It seemed like the surprise nature of it for uh, you know was supposed to have an effect on us. I'm not really sure what that effect was supposed to be beyond being unsettling and showing that our leader is strong. Right, right. I think there is a change in tone in terms of how the Trump administration is going to deal with leaders as opposed to Obama. Um, but at the same time, it is one small intervention. It, and there's some argument about what the military, the immediate military tactical results are, but it is a small intervention. It is not the change in policy. And that's really important to keep in mind, right? Like, I mean, we are still largely uh, not going to deal with Bashar Assad as anything more than an ally we keep at arm's length. As, at least as long as ISIS is still our main focus in the region. Yeah. As opposed to ending the Syrian civil war. You know, if we if we move to that being our main policy initiative in the region, I can see some cases where we're trying to get rid of it. But nobody's saying that. Everybody's talking about how we're going to fight ISIS, and you know. uh, except for maybe Nikki Haley. Yeah, um, right. I mean, yeah, uh, the. <laughs> I like Nikki Haley. Like, I like Nikki Haley, too. I feel actually really bad for Nikki Haley. Right. She should have said no to this job. Oh, really? I yeah. think she's the only Republican in the administration that's coming out like her and Mattis. Or like, I think in I think in 18 months she's going to be Secretary of State. You think so? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's an interesting speculation. She was governor of South Carolina. For yeah, people yeah, yeah. And, um, and she did some interesting things. I mean, but she's a conservative Republican, for sure. Yeah, but she, I mean, you know, I feel like she's pretty tight with, like, the Lindsey Graham-McCain wing of the Republican Yeah, party. that's very obvious, yeah. yeah. Well, what did you think about the, the Syrian adventure? I think this is one of the few actions that I think that the Trump administration, it's, it's one of the few actions that I actually kind of supported. Mm-hmm. Um, I may come to regret that, but I do think that there was something really heartbreaking about not effectively um, dealing with the fact that the Assad regime was using chemical weapons. Now, I don't know if this is going to effectively be a deterrent, but the fact is that we largely kind of either kicked the can down the road or allowed... Well, we did negotiate the removal of all chemical weapons from Syria. Yeah, but ineffectively. It was indicative of where foreign policy was, and I actually still think it's where foreign policy still is. Mm -hmm. Um, I I agree with you. I mean, I'm not saying it's robust enough, but I do think that it's been oversold a little bit that Obama did nothing. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was a complicated foreign policy, uh, uh, but I, it was very much a so it was a non-interventionist policy, mm-hmm. um, and that at its core, I think, is something I I, I don't love. Um, I am not a warmonger by any means, but I do believe that there is a real kind of moral imperative to sometimes intervene. Lindsey Graham's claim, and probably McCain's claim, and probably Mattis's claim, is that the only way to intervene effectively in this region would be to commit a large amount of American ground troops yeah. to, you know, move on Assad. And then right. at that point, you're up against Russia, you're up against Iran. Yeah, you're an invasion force. Yeah, so since since the ability to effectively intervene is not possible... Or we, we, or we have serious self-doubt. <laughs> yeah, As a yeah, country, right, we, have, yeah. we have serious misgivings <laughs> yeah, about yeah, our yeah. ability to successfully intervene. Right. Um, and I just want to bring that up, actually. That's, um, I, I, I think one of the things that I didn't like about the Obama administration was this aspect of their foreign policy. But um, to blame one man, I think, as the right seems to love to do, mm-hmm. um, is wrong. I think it was yeah, we very need, much... We need to stop blaming George W. Bush. Yeah. For... <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but I think he's... Obama was very much um, a sign of the times, right? That we were a non-interventionist country. And 
the Democrats are certainly not interventionist. The Republicans for a long time got to have it both ways. They could be like, oh, anytime you go overseas or you intervene in any way, um, uh, we are going to hound you. Um, so this is what sort of Benghazi was about or right. any sort of small misstep anywhere in the world. Um, they immediate, there were immediate political repercussions for the, for the Obama administration. Um, but at the same time, um, they complained that he wasn't being tough enough. So um, I think the Republican Party got to play both sides of that, and that they want they were talking about our weak leader, but at the same time would not allow him to do anything that was mildly risky overseas. So now that the Republicans are in charge, I think this administration is having to deal with a party that has turned away from being instinctively interventionist since the Bush administration. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, and as far as the geopolitical chess goes, you know, Russia's sticking up for its allies. We, yeah. are, we are not sticking up for ours. What will the ramifications be for that? You know, right. like Russia's making a great case for itself through thick and thin. We will be there for you, whoever that might be. Right. right. Uh, whereas, you know, we're not even going to shake Angela Merkel's hand. Uh, so what does that mean as far as like creating a coalition that can put pressure on people and even be interventionist in a way that makes sense for or not? I think that the real danger here is that he does one thing in Syria and he just gets bored with it mm. and it just and he moves on to the next thing. Like remember when he was his main thing was healthcare? Yeah, right. <laughs> remember yeah, how that yeah. was a how was that was a priority? Oh yeah, or uh, the wall. Or <laughs> the wall, right? Um and I and foreign policy, at the very least, you need to put in some sort of bureaucracy or uh, political infrastructure to continue to sort of chip away at uh, these more difficult issues, right? And yeah. it's not clear that we have a State Department that wants to do that. It's going to be hard to make progress on thornier, more uh, intractable issues. I did think it was a little bit of a victory that the reasons for this intervention were not political, they were not tactical they were not military they were of the heart right yeah he saw these children and he wanted to do something yeah you know there's going to be a lot of dead children in the next four years sure you know? yeah, yeah all That's... over the place yeah 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 and, and uh that would have happened if we had elected clinton as well sure right but it is something it's like sure. we will always be able to say like well here's some more dead children Trump. Like, <laughs> what do we do like yeah they're suffering like do we go in like you know which day and then it's it's interesting I think. right so far the trump doctrine is you know dead children we move <laughs> that's at least something concrete it brings up how much ivanka and jared seem to be moving him not to the left but to the center yeah um and we'll see how long that lasts right like i mean it, it, this could be this month's kind of movement as opposed to next month which could see steve miller <laughs> back in ascendancy or something yeah, like yeah, that yeah. Um, but B, B plot, you know. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I did a little research and I, I did notice something interesting that I, I don't think has been reported on enough. Yeah. Uh, which is after realizing that there was no way that America was going to commit, you know, sure. 200,000 ground troops to fight Assad, you know, yeah. and regime change in Syria. Yeah. Uh, Obama's B plan was, you know, significantly arming the Kurds and, you know, helping them. Mm -hmm. Keep ISIS from escaping as you moved into right. Mosul and then move forward into Raqqa. Right. Uh, and this, uh, there's an article about what happened to this plan, right? Yeah. Uh, it was time sensitive. For it to be effective, we needed to do this uh, 
mid-February. It needed to be approved and put in action by mid-February. So this was a transition era plan, right? Yeah. So they they're, they've did all the research on it. They put it out, uh, and the uh, the plan fell apart because uh, the person who was responsible for conveying the plan was Susan Rice, yeah. and the person who was responsible for receiving the plan was Michael Flynn, who uh, we've now you know realized was in the during this entire period was in the pay of Turkey, right? Yeah. Let's let's call him a very yeah. well compensated sympathizer. A well compensated sympathizer for the for the aims of Turkey, right? right? And uh, had we known that at the time, I think it would have set off a lot more alarm bells that we were going to be torpedoing a plan right. to again, arm the Kurds in a way that would strategically advantage the United States, but might have uh, been not what Turkey wanted to do. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a, one of those things where international relations international relations uh, is incredibly complicated. Um, so someone who's our ostensible ally, um, as long as we continue to try to work with them, um, becomes in some ways a real threat to our our own security or our own end goals, which is to defeat ISIS, right? So yeah. defeating ISIS is a complicated issue. I keep using that word complicated, but it's fair. Or creating some sort of safe zone in the region right. that we could control. You know, one of the things we don't talk about is sort of the internal politics of Turkey, but effectively Erdogan wants a referendum where he gets to increase his hold and I think he wants to either rewrite the constitution or amend the constitution so he's making a, a power grab that makes him effectively a, uh, if not a dictator for life but some, something really really unappealing something along those lines um, but he needs the backing of a hardline anti-Kurd faction um, within the Turkish polity and that's why he's actually turned anti Occurred in the past, say three or four years. Yeah, because he was actually trying to push forward better negotiations, and uh, it, there was some talk, and there would never be any real talk about an independent homeland. But um, there was at least some talk about uh, relaxing some of the controls around uh, with Kurds within at least Turkey's borders. Uh, anyway, the you know if if there's a case to be made for you know looking into Michael Flynn's past entanglements, uh, I think the Turkish one is very important in addition yeah. to the Russian one. It's, it's yeah, I think it's one, it's a hard connection to draw that it won't make the kind of media it won't be uh, the kind of media storm that attracts attention because it doesn't have the word Russian. Yeah, but, uh, and they're ostensibly an ally, but it's still treason. Yeah, area. that's absolutely true. Any uh, any projections? How do you think this is all going to go down? I think he's going to get bored, and it's just not. It's, it's just a, yeah. I mean, people celebrate it again, saying that you know, oh, the tone is different. Mm -hmm. No, it's not. I mean, effectively, America is on the retreat from the international stage. Uh, I think that's fairly clear. Yeah. Um, and uh, just because you have a guy who's willing to destroy an airbase every so often, it doesn't mean that policy has radically changed. So I think there's a line here that you can't screw up terribly, um, but that doesn't mean that, you know, Iran and Russia and Turkey and China aren't going to continue to inc increase their spheres of influence. What would it take for, do you think, for the Trump administration to move in with ground forces into a, a collapsing region um, or to, you know, oppose some autocrat? I'm going to be completely cynical. I actually think that they will have to have hurt Trump's personal family and fortune in some mm, way. Interesting. Just like in The Godfather, right? I mean, basically, they don't allow them to build a hotel. They're done. So Cuba is our next target? Yeah, I really think so. Um, Reinvade Cuba. Yeah. Try not to do this too often, but like the fact that the children who were, uh, were gassed for white, or at least could pass for white, says something, right? I don't really think we care about dying children of color. Uh, I just don't think it plays with 
the heartland or, or American media the same way. Um, which is horrible. But I, I, but if Rwanda were to happen again, or, you know, let's say it just moved over, uh, one country over, and it, the Congo collapsed, mm, yeah. we'll let it, we'll, we'll let it burn. What about something like Ebola again? Ebola, there's at least a self-interest. Yeah. Um, and uh, they're already, they're already geared up for that, right? They can, they can throw up the drawbridge and increase the powers of the, uh, Customs and Border Patrol. Um, they're prepared for those kind of things. It's Fortress America mentality, right? So I think that they are going to be happy not to let people in, um, but I think they're also going to be loath to send people overseas. Something I've been thinking about doing is starting up a GoFundMe for the Syrian war. Oh, yeah? Yeah, just to see how much money we could raise to give to our military to get in there, you know? Like the last one was, <laughs> was so expensive, right? Right, like, right, right. right. Can, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, you know, nobody wants to pay taxes right. for this stuff, you know, and it's like, so it's interventionist. Right. So let's see how much money we can raise, give it to our, you know, our men and women. Yeah. Our fighting forces. And, sure. I mean, it's, it's. Yeah. Like, if you really want this to happen, you know, like fucking let's yeah, donate right. and then, you know, yeah. you can write it off. It's a charitable contribution. So everyone's going to have to pony up about $2,000. In America. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Everyone in America is going to have to pony up about $2,000. That's just, that's like one hospital bill. I mean, come right, on. It's right. nothing. Come on. <laughs> come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we have a fucking war in Syria. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, I often thought about having like a civilian defense fund. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Where you would pay to like actually like. You could send like body armor to troops and stuff. That would actually be really helpful. There's always a contractor in the way. Like, yeah. how do you, you know, send some yeah. shit you can buy at the, you know, your local yeah, fucking Walmart? Yeah, like, yeah. Here's a... some extra hollow bullets. <laughs> I suspect the uh, GoFundMe would reveal this particular war to not be all that popular. But uh, it I feel t- like yeah, your GoFundMe <laughs> sounds like a. <laughs> A more of an artistic statement. <laughs> but, uh, you know, in the event that we did fund it, you know, it would really do well to offset the cost of this. Uh, you know, we could make some cuts, you know. Right. If you're interested. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I mean, these are issues that have many, many facets. And uh, I think one of the sad things, I think, is that uh, uh, the various news cycles, um, at least for Trump, are, are tending to drown the nomination and the confirmation the swearing in of Neil Gorsuch, right? So, like, and it kind of goes to our point, right? Like, no one really cares about the Supreme Court. Yeah. Like, um, and so this one victory that Trump was hoping would play for weeks on end, it just, it's just got, it's not going to happen. Yeah. See, anything else happened this week that you thought was worth talking about? Yeah, I figure, I, I feel like there's some data out there. Like in the you know polling, you know Kelly Con- and Conway's polling data yeah. that says like Ivanka Trump is the single most popular person in the Trump administration. Like they've tested, she's yeah. like she's like the one. She's got the highest brand. She's like the one that you know she's the Michelle Obama, right? Like right attacking her is a mistake and will only hurt you, right? She's like she's the actual like Teflon of this administration. So they try to make it seem like she's responsible for everything good and not involved in anything bad. So they they can keep spiraling this brand upwards. They always have somebody untouched yeah. that they can use to to, to deflect into deflect. Yeah, I don't know if it makes sense for uh, the head of the executive branch, right? Like, I don't know if was there an equivalent. In, I don't know who was the equivalent in any other previous administration that was just like, oh, this person who's an advisor who is this unsullied hero of everything that is good. 
Um, well, Bush, you know, HW had Condoleezza Rice, so I think had a similar role. You know, anytime they wanted to like yeah. say something upsetting, they made Condoleezza Rice do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's the exact opposite. They don't instinctively cause revulsion, you right. know? Like, uh, and I think because the cabinet in general has people who are a little lacking in charisma. You know, th- talking about uh, the cabinet and maybe the ups and downs of various people in the inner court, what do you make of all the news about Bannon being forced off the NSC? Do you think Do you think that his influence is fading? Uh, I would be surprised if Steve Bannon were more powerful strategic thinker than, you know, our armed forces. I don't I, I thought his days were numbered. I mean, he's an old alcoholic versus like the an opportunity unparalleled for our armed services, right? To yeah. like take power. I mean Trump was a military school kid, right? Like Yeah. Uh, I, I I see that I feel like McMasters and Mattis have moved in and they've they represent like rules and order and yeah. like uh you know uh I agree with that. A system that makes sense and they're stable and disciplined yeah and they think trump just has responded to that and he's willing to basically do what they say for the time being yeah so it, you think that there were there's actually been an implosion in terms of bannon's influence i think a lot of mediocrities went up against people who are like you know good at their jobs and they lost <laughs> i mean i think that was gonna happen like, it was a mistake to let anybody good at their job into the administration yeah that's on Bannon. That's yeah. Steve Bannon. yeah 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 so you know there's no in a power vacuum you know yeah. who, who's who's he up against kushner miller you know yeah then like a force you know mad like a general you right know? he's caused regime change in other countries i'm sure it was not hard to take out steve bannon <laughs> yeah. dogged yeah. and disciplined yeah 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 i i think you know Trump, Donald Trump somebody was kicked out of regular school and forced to go to military school, yeah. right? I think that's happened again. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, it's it's an interesting thing that we were all kind of like happy about this. It's like, oh great, we now just have a military government. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I mean it's a military government combined with a family autocracy. <laughs> yeah. So it does feel great. very third world. <laughs> yeah, definitely That's third a, world. So we've become Pakistan. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, there is someone in the in the Bannon wing that's still alive and kicking who is Jeff Sessions, right? Sure. I mean, he actually came out with some new orders either yesterday or today. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I think one of the more charming footnotes was that he wants to make it a felony to undergo or engage in a fake visa marriage or so um so that will now be a felony so a warning out there to all you people who married not for love but for citizenship um uh, speaking of competence but jeff sessions is competent and he has done things he is a good tactical mind and a successful politician and a lawyer mm-hmm. just because bannon's out doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have people who represent his worldview uh gaining influence okay. and if the issue yeah. is between discipline and not discipline jeff sessions certainly can hold his own i don't think jeff sessions is incompetent yeah, yeah, yeah. i think it's going to be a very competent bureaucracy that needs <laughs> I, don't I don't know how to screw that up i mean it's it's a it's a scary thing one of the interesting things is there's been more of a groundswell of wanting the justice department to get involved with local police forces to help police better you know that should have been the story of the 2017 election police you know like and and their role in society right that should have been what yeah. the election was about and there are many sides to that I, I i think i tend to be probably a little bit more centrist i tend to see being a cop as being a hard job and i'm somewhat sympathetic uh it, it's a hard job and 
and certainly better training and more information would help make that job better because we do need better cops yeah 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 every time i see a cop in jack's nights i just want to give him a hug it's like Dude, your job must be so hard like it's so I, boring yeah yeah they just like walk around you see them they're like forlornly and just like <laughs> they don't know what they're doing they don't know what's going on you right, know? right. Like, they can't communicate with the locals yeah like all the crime is like crime n- no one gives a shit about yeah. so it's like it's illegal prostitution and yeah. all the like uh, like you know 20 people living in an apartment kind of shit um, all like like our unpaid workers, all that illegal labor stuff. Yeah, just like handbags being sold on the street right, for right. like to. It's like, what are you gonna do, really? Right, exactly. <laughs> As opposed to like the violent crime. Yeah, like, but there's so many people, so it's just like they're just in the mass of this like swirling amount of like yeah. Times Square there's, level humanity. Right, like, right, right. There's there are a lot of chaos. None of it immediately violent. Yeah. So they're like both confused and bored. Yeah. Like I can't tell if it's a really cush place to do a beat where you just ride out the sentence I think and they go hate to some... I think they hate it. Yeah. You just see him like up against the wall, like kinda like look watching bull go by. It just seems like they're worse places to try to grab a lunch though. People to... are gonna give you free food, yeah. I mean, for yeah. sure. And yeah. you'll have some of the better street food you can get in New York City. Yeah. You might accidentally become a liberal after being here for a while. You'd be like, I don't know, maybe immigration's okay. <laughs> I guess that's it for politics. Yeah. Anything else really burning on your nah, plan? No, no. I guess we want to go on, on to uh, sort of doubling down on defeat. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, was, were the Democrats really doing anything at all? Like, what do you think about the Democrat strategy of tying their of making the Cabell weather these special elections in Kansas and uh, the Kansas Fourth District is notably more Republican um, than the Georgia Six. So Georgia Six was always a possibility. Uh, I think they're setting themselves up for a defeat. I think there's a really good chance that they could lose both elections. They spent a lot of money, um, so something like uh, on the order of like two or three times uh, what a normal congressional district election would get. The Democrats have flooded that district with money. Um, if he loses, it'll be a waste of money. I also think that um, it's it'll be unfortunate if he can't pull this off. I mm-hmm. think people will go back and say like, okay, well we we got defeated because but these are both districts that run pretty red. Yeah. Um. So I think uh. So that's so it was always a bit of a long shot. So I wonder if that's going to sort of drain the momentum a little because they had the idea that they were going to turn everything and all of a sudden this fourth district in Kansas, which is I think Donald Trump won by like twenty percentage points, is going to turn blue. I think it's yeah. it's unrealistic. It's interesting that the Kansas the person running in Kansas is a is a Bernie crat, right? Yeah. They're, they're, uh, whereas Ossoff in in Georgia is more of a traditional Democrat, right? Yeah, I think it will be interesting to see the how well they do with respect to that. You know, we have a we have a right. bit of a test to see which message is better, stronger in these regions. Right, and it's and I think the key is that Ossoff has actually done pretty well for himself. Yeah. Like, I mean, he may actually be able to pull this off. So what will happen? I think is that they, he won't be able to put their two rounds. Um, so if he doesn't win the majority already, he'll have to go to a second round where he competes only against a single Republican. I think the Democrats are, are hoping against hope that he'll beat the 51%, right? Like, And uh, and again, I think you're setting yourself up for defeat rather than sort of mapping out what's a strategic and realistic goal. How do you gain small grounds rather than, oh, okay, we're going to sweep the Congress in 2018. He could beat, I mean, with his kind of momentum and Trump sort of pulling the way he does, I mean, he could defeat him in the second round. Mm-hmm. But the idea is that you have to be able to, like, hope for the best in this first round and then marshal yourself for a, a, a harder fight 
Um, and that's what I think is going to be difficult, right? Yeah. Um, and I think again, it's a it's about what are what is your sort of national tactics in terms of what does it mean to have a Republican Party uh, that dominates the land, right? And so, you, in as opposed to running a uh, a, a Bernie crat in the heart of Kansas, what does it mean to try to sponsor, put your weight behind someone who's a much more centrist Republican? Yeah. Because that's to me seems like a much more reasonable approach to the 2018 elections. Is rather than trying to get people huge states that have a deep history with uh, the Republican Party, is to try to pull that party to the center because you can do that. Um, that makes a lot more sense if you can get Democrats, uh, especially uh, centrist Democrats in these areas that are that are much more Republican leaning, to back a single Republican, um, rather than being a second party, you become a kingmaker in the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. Then you'll have more allies in Congress when you want to, yeah. you know, make Trump look bad because he can't pass legislation. Right. You know, for going forward to the twenty twenty election. Right. Again, hoping against hope that twenty eighteen is your year. Yeah. Uh, it's just not looking at electoral math. Now, okay, yeah. you could be wrong. It could be a ground surge, but uh, again, can't plan on it. That, right. If that happens, it's not going to be your doing. It's going to be Trump's. Yeah. You have no power for the next two years. Right. If Absolutely. you're trying to get power for, you know, if you're going to try to make 2018 something where you can get power in 2020, to plan to move the Republicans to the center is a good good path to go yeah. on. Should we move on yeah. to outside the bubble? Yeah. So outside the bubble, I had a couple of entries that I thought were pretty interesting. So the first thing I wanted to talk about was an article in the National Review, which is a tried and true conservative magazine and it was written by someone named Victor Davis Hanson I don't I'm not familiar with that author uh, but it's called uh, Ancient Laws Modern Wars and he talks a lot about the difficulty of what it means for America to re-engage um, in the world I think his main point it's a very short article it's got like 10 points it's pretty good uh, it's a quick read but the idea is that these are the times when things go really wrong it's when uh, formerly powerful entity that was effectively keeping the peace either tries to reassert itself or new powers attempt to reassert themselves. So it is this kind of miscalibration about the strengths and weaknesses of each other. Mm -hmm. Um, That's when things go batshit crazy. And these are particularly tense times. And it's just something that, uh, you know, basic communication breaks down and inability to read how strong you are as well as how how weak your opponent is, a lot of gauging uh, in terms of intentions and things like that. Um, and we talked a little bit about this, how the Japanese went into World War II, but this is not dissimilar. This is a, uh, it's, a, it's a power that was on the rise um, that effectively had guessed that they were going to be able to, in six months, effectively cripple something like the U.S. Um, and these are the times when uh, powers on the ascendancy overshoot, and that becomes very dangerous. Um, for everyone involved, so it is. It's a very brief article. I totally uh, worth. It's totally worth reading. I recommend it, and it's only. And I think it's ten points effectively. Um, talk about how hard it is going to be to maintain a peace um, if America tries to reassert itself, and if it doesn't. Right. Either way, foreign policy is fraught. So this is this is the proper rogue yeah, state. This yeah. is like North Korea times three or four, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Or maybe even times ten, because these the countries that are going to go quote unquote rogue or going to act in a very selfish sense of self-interest, they're much more powerful than North Korea. They're mm-hmm. not as easily isolated. Yeah. Um, so we'll see what happens with yeah. some of these countries who decide that now's their time to strike. Yeah. To grow. 
like yeah. Canada. <laughs> uh, well, what else did you have? You had well, one. I had one more article. Yeah. This is from um, Red State, uh, and uh, it's an author I, I hate reading. Um, the guy it goes by the pseudonym Strife, um, it, and uh, he's just a very kind of like right-wing pro-military guy, and I just hate reading his stuff, but I think it's good for me to read it. But he actually had a very interesting, informed analysis of what the Syrian strike did and didn't do. And so there was sort of a minor debate about whether or not it was effective or whether or not the generals were kind of, effectively, whether or not Mattis was kind of exaggerating the effectiveness of the strike. Uh, But he actually has a really interesting point about how you judge a strike. And Mm -hmm. I I felt like I read a lot about what it means to be tactically effective. Yeah. Um, So um, I may not like his politics, but I thought he was really informative. Um, and I certainly learned a lot about how, how what it means to be in a military mindset in, in terms of what an effective target is and what isn't. And I think he made a strong argument that the the strikes were effective for what they were trying to do. Well, it's a little bit of zugzwang, right? Because Russia, Syria, they can't use chemical weapons anymore right, right. now because it would look terrible for them. Yeah. The international community is pissed at them for doing that in the first yeah. place. So in that case, if you bomb them, then you get to take credit for that, for yeah. them no longer using those chemical weapons. Right. And if they do it anyway, then you get to bomb them again. Yeah. So you really get to insert yourself as the dominant force in this conversation yeah. by doing something very small. Yeah. So it does make sense from a tactical point of view. It doesn't right. make sense as far as ending the Syrian civil war, or fighting not. ISIS, or you know, in any no. way stabilizing the region. No, not so, at all. No. Uh, You're making even a larger point than he was making is whether or not did he? I think his point was that did they effectively disable this airfield, ah. airbase, and like his point is like from a tactical point of view, what you first strike are the machine shops. It's really hard to destroy the actual airstrip. Yeah. But yeah. all the supporting buildings are what prevent that plane from like whether or not they can fuel, whether or not they can they can repair all of that stuff. That's what really matters. That is an interesting point. I think the symbolism of it was smart. I think that yeah. was a good thing to do. I'm opposed to the use of chemical weapons on civilians. Yeah. I think anytime somebody does that, they should be have missiles fired at them. Yeah. I think that's always good policy. Yeah. Ideally, the missiles should be fired at things right. as opposed to people, and that's what they attempted to do here. Yeah. I have no problems with that. That makes total sense to me. Like, yeah. yeah, I agree. The other question is like, okay, well, you're going to say that about chemical weapons. What about like barrel bombs? What yeah. about like uh, starvation of people? You know, yeah. what, what, what sorts of you know, war crimes should be prosecuted in the same way. I would say all of them, but I'm kind of a jerk that way. I say, you know, either all of them or you don't fucking have law, you know? Yeah. Like, you have to continue to... And I think this is... Here we're in agreement. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I think that it's really important. There are several lines in the sand. Yeah. And you attempt, you destroy things, things that autocrats like, you know? You sanction them. Statues of themselves. <laughs> Statues of themselves is a great target. Like their fleets of Mercedes. Yeah, this is 2017. We can make really targeted, symbolic, artistic attacks right. on the infrastructure of tyrants. Right. And I think we should take every opportunity to do that when they make brutal, cruel, uh, you know, uh, cynical attacks on their own people. Right. Why not? What yeah. the fuck does it cost us anything? What are they going to be mad at us? Yeah.
Anyway, okay. so, uh, do you have a suggestion for outside the bubble this week? I, I'm reading a couple books. I'm not finished with them. Yeah. Uh, when I when I'm done with them, I, I want to talk about them. Uh, we could, you could read along with me. One of them is called uh, Ten Dollars to Hate," which is just about the, his, the history of the KKK. Yeah. Uh, and I just picked up another. I just picked up McMaster's book. So while you're on vacation, I'll finish both of these books. Okay. And we can we can discuss what we have, what, what what there is to be gleaned from them. Okay. Uh, if anything, but uh, the I did want to talk about something that it feels like a a, a right wing idea that I usually take to the left, mm-hmm. which is why hypocrisy is so caustic or why we revolt from it uh, in our leaders, right? Why we don't like it. Uh, And I don't think it's because we don't like things that are not pure. You know, we like, we have this like antagonism towards like defilement or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think it's because we expect different people to do different things, right? Like, and the left wants everybody to be be like all one way, right? Like morally... Morally. Yeah, yeah, morally one way. Racially and and diverse, but morally... Yeah, but they want all these racially diverse, like... People to think the same the same same way. way, Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's not going to happen. Never will. Nor should it. Nor should it. It's better for a system that if people do different things, they challenge each Mm -hmm. other, they create debate... They uh, look out for their own interests, I would say, and they push their own, they privilege their own interests above those of other people's interests to create sort of a healthy antagonism that results in policies that maybe don't benefit, make everybody happy, but they generated through consensus, right? People feel that they've been heard in an argument. They've acted, you know, they feel that they've been listened to and they've given their best shot and maybe they've been shot down, but they at least had the opportunity to do so, right? Yeah. It's an aggressive way of thinking about politics, right. but I think it's how politics happens anyway. But I th- and I think that's why we re- revolt against hypocrisy because I think they're our champion for one thing yeah. in this political arena, and they're acting in an- another way. Right. They're acting. They've been revealed to be, you know, like taking money from somebody else or yeah. like working against. And so then, who do we have advocating for that line of thought? Right. If they're not doing it, then we need somebody in there who's going to be championing sure. that position. And yeah. then we, it's revealed that there's nobody there, right. and that is upsetting. Whether it's somebody from the extreme religious right or somebody from, you know the uh, pure socialist left you know we want them to be the advocate for these positions in this political sphere they've been chosen this they're not just some fucking college kid they're supposedly the political representative of these ways of thinking right so we want them to have these to hold them to believe in them absolutely uh, so I think now is the time we go on to random shit. <coughs> random shit. And uh, for random shit, we're actually going to talk about a podcast, yeah. a particular podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just finished listening to it. I basically crammed it in over the past three days or something. S Town is the podcast we're going to talk about. It's yeah. Shit Town. Yeah. Um, it's from the people who brought you cereal. I didn't loosely. Yeah. 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 Uh, I didn't love cereal, but I thought this was really effective. So you want to just talk a little bit about what it is in general, and then I guess what we really liked about it. All spoilers are on. Everybody should listen to it. It's yeah. not that long, and, yeah. and you'll like it. And yeah. it's not what you think it's going to be. You know, uh, at least it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I expected it to be the uh, sort of an investigation of a true, like a small town murder. Yeah, yeah. And I was actually really reluctant to get into that yeah, because yeah. I just I don't love those. I don't love that format for a podcast. Yeah. I don't think journalism's a journalism. Uh, does a great job of like true crime investigation. Yeah, like, that's what good detective work is. It's yeah. not journalism. <laughs> I mean, and it's a, it's a character study of yeah. a remarkable person and their relationship 
to the town that they live in. Right. Uh, it's you know, Southern Gothic fairy tale. Yeah, I mean, it's, absolutely. It's 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 something. We're both from the South. Uh, and you're from a small town. I'm from a medium-sized city. I don't know if I have any real romance of what a rural life is, but to me, I was I thought about this, and I uh, when I was listening to this podcast, but I I think about it in general is that my father comes from a really rural place in India. Yeah, yeah. So it's a small, you know, it's 500 person village, right? Um and uh and that's and it's tiny and it's rural and it's really lush. Yeah, yeah. So it's really but it's also really poor. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. there's a, a there's a pretty strong analogy between that and in growing up in sort of southern rural America. I yeah, think. no, for sure. Um, and this, the type of people you run into, say, my, certainly my dad's uh, family, uh, not entirely dissimilar. To yeah, but it's interesting. It's just like the, yeah. the podcast itself is just this really like tight character study of this one guy, yeah. his relationships with everybody he knows, and he's a unique person. Right. I think that's fair to say. Uh, yeah. And that's what makes it so fascinating because usually podcasts like this don't really find they find they're very condescending yeah uh, i think that's absolutely true like if you if you go into a new environment yeah especially with someone who comes from an npr world yeah 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 like, oh you're charming yeah or, you're backwards <laughs> yeah and you're charmingly backwards there's a like this two modes of operation right and one of the delights of this podcast was seeing like your, your npr you know guy run up against somebody who's just like way more with it and yeah intelligent and is like playing him in interesting ways right in order to get his own story told yeah uh, that's absolutely and, true uh, right uh, and, and it's very clear how he judges someone from the outset yeah and to have that just eroded <laughs> yes <Yeah>, slowly <laughs> like, like, like it's just like over like you know you're like oh crap i was completely wrong <laughs> yeah, yeah um i think the significant event his own suicide gave this guy like a story he couldn't run away from like, right it seemed like he wasn't really interested in continuing the story out once like there was no like murder because he wanted it to be a serial yeah he wanted to be salacious and yeah some sort of and yeah now, and he was unfortunately brought into a world of real depth uh there's like maybe uh, maybe 15 seconds in the entire whatever eight hours Oh, a guy who's sort of a little bit more of the evil, like, southern villain. Yeah, this is the guy that runs the KKK lumber mill. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, And, uh, yeah, as soon as the reporter corners him, he's like, oh, you're one of those liberals who's sad about the election. Yeah. And you're like, okay, you're, this is the sneering, like, yeah. character of southern life that, like, it's very clear that there he's, like, one person, and, like, the rest of this, this town is just, like, like, these really, like interesting people with their own lives and their own motivations and their own agendas mm-hmm. who are, you know, in one way or another have touched upon this central character. Yeah, yeah, like one point the NPR guy, you know, in whispered tones reveals that John B. used to be a little racist and you're like, right. no shit. Yeah, really? <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, I mean, he's a small town yeah, Alabama. what are you going to do? Yeah. He's like, what, 50 yeah, by the time yeah, yeah, he dies? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, he's yeah. going to be a little racist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and <laughs> his parents before him were going to be a lot more racist. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. the people like who are younger than him are going to be a lot less racist. Yeah, so... Clearly, he's really affected by this guy. Yeah. Uh, he, he is really sensitive about various people. And I think, to his, uh, to his credit, he really does... He's curious about the story, and he is willing to let people become... Uh, very three-dimensional. So yeah. There, so follows- there's some very early antagonists that later on in the series are, are very, like, he, he does a good job of supporting or at least bringing their viewpoint 
um, to the front. And it's compelling all the way through. There's, yeah. there's a lot of loose ends and it's a little baggy, but it's really, John B is just so much fun to listen to. Yeah. You know, you want to be in that clock shop, just like have, hearing him rant. You don't want to be in that clock shop because <laughs> it's a mercury place. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was a really, I thought a, a really effective, really interesting listen. Yeah, I thought I thought there were some flaws with it, uh, and they were uh, kind of problematic. And I think this show could have been a lot better. Uh, I think it needed three more episodes. Oh, okay. And I mean, I think the problems with it were they were introduced sort of threads that were introduced several times, but they were never followed through. Yeah. Uh, it needed three more episodes. One episode about the Alabama child molester situation, right? Like, they kept talking about how, like, Alabama's got, like, the highest... highest this, per- per- this particular, like... County. Yeah, has the highest, like... And, you know, John B. mentions it a couple times. Yeah. And the John B.'s, like, ward, his yeah. father's in prison for molesting yeah. a child. Yeah, uh, I, w- I kind of wanted to have, like, a This American Life, like, NPR drill down on why that is and right. what's going on and why what the situation there is for why there's so many, like, predators in this one small Gibson's town. Gibson's the last. Anyway, so I thought, I thought that was a mystery opportunity for, yeah there was, i thought there was something going there's on something there. yeah there's something much deeper and yeah. like much more important i think than this like very charismatic guy like yeah but it was the story he kind of wanted to tell yeah. i thought that i thought generally speaking that was where the series whiffed after he died uh the the journalist started investigating the things he was interested in mainly like the guy's treasure which i didn't really care that much about and yeah. you know, stopped focusing. Yeah, that was on, a little bit of a MacGuffin. Yeah, stop focusing on the things that this guy was interested in about the town. I want to say that I think that the idea that ch- chasing the treasure was isn't irrelevant. It's important because it yeah. becomes a focal point of how sure. people relate really, to each other. Yeah, yeah, and it, it is that how people are are fighting over his legacy. Yeah, no, I thought that was interesting from a storytelling perspective, but it wasn't. It wasn't really like yeah. central. Uh, the other thing was. At the end of the series, it's revealed that this was a brand new town. It was only like 10 years old. Yeah. And I thought that was super interesting and didn't get covered enough. Right. Like, what is... And that was his relationship with it. He was real into it at first and then, like, backed off as, like, all these corruption scandals. Oh, yeah, up. it was definitely a town that tried to revive itself. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I thought you could have done a whole episode on what it is to create a new town in America. Yeah. And, like, the, you know, yeah, there was in something the 21st if, century. Yeah, I think there was... Uh, one person who is effectively, um, I guess she's now the wife of the of the mayor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. She, I think, was deserved um, either a focus or you needed to build uh, more another episode around. So I felt like that was a missed opportunity. Like it would have been really interesting to see, you know, like the, how a small town comes to be, what you need in order to have a town just exist in the first right. place, and the problems that an early town faces. And just in a Sim City perspective, and yeah. why John B was so frustrated with the, what happened, what yeah. eventually transpired, uh, and then the third episode that I thought they needed to have was just some just more on clocks. Like I could listen to them talk about clocks all day long. Yeah, yeah. So John B is a horologist, yeah, right? Yeah. And so he, uh, it was something that was neglected, right? Like I think it it is, and it colors his life. And I think they try to weave it throughout, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, bring you know he met all these horologists I'm yeah. sure he could have you know like I wanted to I mean I thought it was really interesting yeah. that was like a delightful part of the series I came away from the series being like way more interested in clocks and like, like from having an appreciation for clocks than yeah way. and I, yeah and again I think this series is really good it just it paints a real portrait there are two things that I took away from it really one is that like he's um he's a really bright guy 
uh, very technical. Uh, so I, I, I came in with a lot of like admiration and envy over that. Like I thought it was like, oh wow, he mastered this, and like you know, he certainly had his mind. He was able to wrap his mind around a lot of technical concepts, um, which I thought was cool. Um, uh, in a way that I, uh, you know, I could say a little bit of myself. Like if I had stayed in, in North Carolina, maybe being a little frustrated, and um, or you know, if I, but maybe my father, for example, lived in a small village and yeah, like, being yeah. really, really frustrated by um, being curious about the world, um, and I could see how that sours that experience, sours you, uh, especially if you can't relate. Like I think in some ways, if you're bright, I can often be a very alienating experience. Um, and I think uh, the other thing that I, I really I, I honed in on and this is related is that uh, uh, just the notion of being sort of manic depressive and oh, like yeah, yeah. you know by, when it's revealed it's revealed early on in the series that he killed himself so I was like yeah of course like I mean that's he always felt like he was teetering right like and yeah, you can like, hear it in the first thing he says that this is somebody just like way out on the edge way right? out on the edge yeah. and like at some point he's going to cycle down yeah. and that's a scary place to be. I'm not manic depressive, but I mean, I mean, since we had it, I mean, like, I mean, there are people uh, we know um, who are often, you know, really, really productive and often very bright um, during their manic episodes, and then like when they come down, it's really hard. And uh, it's certainly like my family deals a lot with depression, and uh, uh, knowing that you're always a little bit on the brink, like, I mean, it it, it was a really sympathetic portrayal, I think, for some, yeah, some, yeah, yeah I mean, you know. I, they need to rename that town Macklemore or whatever. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Woodstock's a terrible name and already taken. Yeah. You know, and they now have somebody that's put them on the map. And they For should Macklemore, honor that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah build a library. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, I'd like to see that happen in yeah. 2017. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope we see more of this to come during the Trump years, I guess. Like, deeper in interrogations, I guess, of, like, small town America. Yeah. In a way that isn't condescending, right? That isn't condescending. That isn't, and it's not easy to know what to think of it, right? Yeah, exactly. Like you're like, oh, okay. That's as complex as reporting about a big city. Yeah, absolutely. Looks at the the power dynamics and you know different personalities in play, right? And tries to figure out structural problems for why these places suffer and why they thrive sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Why people live there, I guess more than (laughs) (laughs) bring it all together. Uh, I think that's it. So, so bad people can live in a big city. Bad people can live in a big city, and bad people can live in a small town. (laughs) And people can feel trapped and yet somehow um, enriched by a small town, and people can feel trapped and yet somehow enriched in a big city. I guess there's just no getting out of the human experience, no matter how hard we try. (laughs) Mars. Mars. Mars is where we'll not be human again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll send the West Virginians. <laughs> they need jobs. They need jobs, people. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, th- thanks again. Yeah, thanks for joining us. This has been episode 14 of Rumor Requirement. Uh, thanks to all our listeners for following us. Uh, you can check us out on Stitcher, um, and iTunes, um we're on Facebook and Twitter and SoundCloud. Yep, SoundCloud, Reddit, um, and uh, rate us on iTunes. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it helps us get. Oh shit! Is that our first rate us on iTunes? Well, I think <laughs> we can cut it. <laughs> no, no, I'm just. That's uh, it's like a moment, right? right in a right. podcast. Well, I think we're starting to reach a point where, like, you rate us on iTunes. Okay, we've, okay. we've sort of gotten to a point where we're comfortable. <laughs> and, uh, and thanks to Kevin Carter for our, our lovely music. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. <laughs>